Easter time in a resurrection chapter, uh, chapter number 15. Now listen here, y'all might think I set that up, but I'm just not smart enough to do that. Uh, There's no way I could have choreographed it or planned it or engineered it. Uh, It's just kind of amazing to me how we fall in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on Easter Sunday. And uh, last Sunday as well, I think we'll be in it next Sunday, maybe. It's a good long chapter and it's uh, worthy of a little bit of time, so we'll be there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, last week we looked at verses 1 through 11, so we'll begin today in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Are you there? All right. Okay, well here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 12, Paul writes to that troubled church down in Corinth, and here's what he says. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only... We are of all men most to be pitied. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is really a masterpiece. Uh, Whether you are aware or not, 1 Corinthians 15 is used today in some of our top law schools that train lawyers because it's a masterpiece in how to logically formulate an airtight argument. And Paul exhibits that here as he uses some logical reasoning and deduction all throughout this chapter as he's trying to prove logically the case of the resurrection. Now, obviously you can see here that there were some people down in Corinth that were saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. They were denying that the dead, not Christ, but that you and I who are in Christ will ultimately one day get up out of the grave and spend eternity forever with Him. That's what they were denying. So Paul writes them and he begins to formulate this logical argument saying if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ was raised. And he brings out all the logical implications of that scenario if indeed it were true. So... You know, there's probably nobody today, you'd be hard-pressed. I don't say nobody. You could find somebody in Bonifay that would verbally say that there is no resurrection and that Christ himself has not been raised, that it's all just a fairy tale. You could probably find somebody somewhere that would say that. But by and large, it's difficult to find anybody on the streets in the Bible Belt in the United States of America that would verbally dispute the bodily resurrection of Christ and or the future bodily resurrection of believers. They would not deny that. 
But on the other hand, there are people everywhere. Yea, verily, there are folk in this room today that deny the resurrection practically by the way they live. So I want to speak to you today on this subject, living in denial. Now, we're all familiar with that term. And I'm not talking about a river in Egypt. I'm talking about just sticking our heads in the sand and refusing to recognize the plain facts of the matter. Saying one thing maybe with our lips, but living our lives in total contradiction to that and thus living in this conundrum of walking and living in denial. Now, there's a lot of things that he says here that will point out and give us some characteristics, will give us a description of those of us. And my Lord, listen to me. Who in here is perfect? Who doesn't? What? He said he was? All right. I'm glad to know we got one. The rest of y'all listen up. Because the rest of us got a ways to go, right? Hey, my point being, don't think that I'm standing here today pointing my long bony finger at you acting as if I myself am not sometimes guilty. Every one of us are in the process of sanctification. So this is in no way a message meant to condemn any of us. It's a message that's meant for us to open our eyes, realize the blind spots in our life, realize where we're living in contradiction to truth, where we're living in denial, and make some mid-course corrections, huh? That's what it's about. So what does it look like when folk are living in denial? Well, what I want us to do is I want us to take Paul's argument here and Paul basically uses himself as the example. In other words, he's the preacher. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then preaching, my preaching is in vain. So I want us to take this today and instead of looking at it from the standpoint of the preacher who is giving the message, let's look at it from the standpoint of the congregation or those who are receiving the message. And we can do it like that and it does no injustice to the argument. The propositions and the implications are still valid and it helps us to see where we are in our walk in relation to living like Jesus is indeed alive. So here we go. Notice what it is that Paul says about living in denial. First thing he says is in verse number 14, he says, When we live in denial, preaching has no value. What good is it? Look what he says in verse number 14. I want you to see this. I'm not making it up. He says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Now he uses that word about two or three times and he's already used it last week in the passage preceding this one. And there are several nuances to that word. And we're going to be able to bring out all the nuances today. But the nuance that we have right here about preaching, if Christ has not been raised, if we are living in denial, then preaching has absolutely no value. What good is it? It's worthless. Why should I give my time to it? Why should I prioritize God's Word in my life? Now listen, if that's not where... 
a lot of us are today. Man, I don't know what else describes us. Because can I just be as honest to say this? I know a lot of folk who confess Christ with their lips. And so they'll drive hundreds of miles to a sporting event. They'll drive across counties and into another state to go to a good shopping mall. They will drive several hours to get to the hottest and the best restaurant. But those same people won't get up out of bed and walk across the street in the morning to hear the gospel being preached. Now you tell me what's going on. i tell you what's going on. We're living in denial. We're fooling ourselves when we say with our lips that Christ is alive, but yet the preaching of His Word has no value. No value to us. Do you know that everything in the Christian life is predicated upon the preached Word of God? Everything. I mean, Paul goes as far as to say that right down to the very basics, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Hearing by the Word of God. Now look, we're just not talking about the initial onset of faith. We're talking about the maintenance and the growth and the culmination of faith. How does it come? It comes in response to the preaching of God's Word. And boy, I want to tell you today, preaching has little value to a whole lot of people, if any value at all. And you can tell because folk just don't prioritize it. But now wait a minute. Don't let me get on the audience too bad. Let me spend a little time chastising some preachers, can I? Because I want to tell you, son, preaching today has degenerated away from thus saith the Lord to thus saith the preacher. And when that happens, no wonder folk don't value it. Huh? Can I say to you that if you don't sit under a biblical expository preacher that can shell the corn, that can grammatically analyze the text, set it in context, pour the contents out in your lap, you need to get up from where you are and get to where one of those, one of those is. <laughs> if that's English or not. Good English. Man preaching is pathetic today. And can I just say, look, I'm not just spouting that off. I think... I'm probably qualified to make that pronouncement because I am a preacher, huh? I've done this for 30 years. Uh, I've got three degrees culminating in a terminal degree in expository preaching. I may not be able to do it, but I can tell you if I've heard it or not. Huh? I can tell you when I'm listening to a Bible expositor and when I'm not. And I hate to tell you, but most preaching today has nothing to do with the objective reality of God's Word and it has to do with preferences and subjective feelings, likes and dislikes and what I've always heard in tradition, but it doesn't come from thus saith the Lord God Almighty. And son, when that takes place, no wonder people don't have any more affection for the preaching of God's Word today. I asked Dr. John, now let me just shock you a little bit, can I? I asked Dr. John this morning, I said, would you agree with this statement or not? Because, hey, he and I both are pretty familiar. And please don't, don't interpret this as arrogance or not. It just has to do with the fact that we are in a crisis today for biblical expository preaching. We just are. And I wonder sometimes it's because we're under judgment and God has sent a famine of the Word 
And if he sends a famine of the word, guess what he stops producing? He stops producing biblical expositors. And he just lets people sit in darkness because they've turned their nose up to it for so long. He said, you didn't want to hear it? I'm not going to give it to you anymore. It troubles me. And it troubled me when I was still teaching at the Baptist College of Florida. How few men we were having come through there that can say with fortitude, I know that I know that God has called me to preach His Word. When there's a famine of the Word, God stops producing biblical preachers. And I asked Dr. John this morning, I said, Dr. John, how many Bible preachers would you say there are in the panhandle of Florida? And he and I both agreed less than a dozen. Now listen here, there's 40-something churches, 40-something Baptist churches in Holmes County. And I'm just telling you, you'll starve to death if you're looking to get a meal of the Word in most of them. And by golly, until that turns around, until we get biblical preaching recovered in local churches, we're going to continue to go down the path that we're going. You want to know why we're going in the direction we're going? It's because of a loss of the preaching of God's Word. It's just not valued. So much of what is being said today has nothing to do with God's Word. And some of it does, but here, let me tell you what. Can I just say this? I'm so tired of hearing folks say, Well, Pastor Richie, it's biblical. Especially it relates to some of the foolish, God-dishonoring junk that Paul dealt with in Corinthians. People say, well, Brother Richie, it's biblical. Hey, so is adultery, but God's Word don't say go and do it. Huh? You see, there's a big difference in what the Bible reports and what the Bible proports. Huh? The Bible reports uh, uh, murder, lying, and deception, but it doesn't tell you to go do it. So just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean that God's setting it there telling you to go do it. And people today are so biblically illiterate because there's nobody standing up preaching God's Word till they don't know the difference between when they're being sold a bill of goods or not. I mean, I'm just saying. I came into town this morning with this on my mind. Get right up here on a light pole in Bonifay, Florida, and there's a big old cardboard sign put up there that says, God is your friend. Can I say this? He's not. Especially if, if you're not a child of God, if you've never been born again, God is not your friend. He's your enemy. And you're an object of His wrath. And unless that change changes, you're going to experience all the force of being on the wrong side of the fence of God. But all this touchy-feely horse manure that folk like to hear today will condemn your soul to a devil's hell for eternity. Oh, God's my friend. Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says being a friend of the world is being an enemy of God. Huh? Somebody ought to put that on a sign. You see what I'm saying? Folks spout stuff off today that is not only non-biblical but anti-biblical. Got to run or I'm never going to get through this. It's just my first point, huh? Living in denial, if you're living in denial, I mean, if you're living in a way that practically denies the truth of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, then number one, preaching will not be valuable to you at all. 
So many folks saying, oh yeah, I've been saved, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I don't need somebody preaching to me. Friend, you're living in denial. Can't happen. Doesn't happen. Won't happen. Look what Paul says. He says, now if Christ is preached, or excuse me, verse number 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Hey, man, is preaching vain and valueless to you? Man, hey, when you're born again, God just puts a supernatural hunger in your heart for God's Word. Can I say this is what I love about Grace Church? Man, y'all have got a hunger for the Word. If you didn't have a hunger for the Word, you wouldn't put up with me. Here's what keeps us connected. God has supernaturally given you a hunger and He's supernaturally given me a desire to feed that hunger. Huh? That's what keeps us together. And man, I appreciate it so much when folk tell me how much they're growing, about how much they desire the Word. For God's Word itself says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hey, when you're born again, it is milk for you that gives you nutrition and spiritual life. As you begin to grow, it becomes a real state that gives you energy and vitality. God's Word is the basis and the, uh, uh, it's, it's, it, it is the, the substance of which everything in the Christian life is based upon. Got to run. Number two, when we live in denial, faith is vain. It's vain. Now let me give you a couple of more nuances to this word. It means it's empty. It means it's non-essential. It means it has no importance. It doesn't matter. Let me go one farther. Look in verse number 17. Paul, Paul comes right down and tells us this. Verse number 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless. So here's the question that I have to ask myself. I have to ask myself, Richie, are you living in denial? Are you living in such a way that your everyday life denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if it does, here's one of the characteristics that will be evident in my life. My faith is worthless. You know what that means? That means it doesn't profit me one bit. That means I don't grow any. That means I don't go from point A to point B. I always just stay where I am, like I am. There's never any change in my life. So I have to ask myself this question. If faith suddenly evaporated out of my life, boop, it was gone, would anything look different about me? If faith were gone, if I all of a sudden just renounce my faith, says I no longer have any faith, it's gone. Zilch. Out of here. What would practically change in my life? Because you see, here's what Jesus talks about faith doing. He says, <laughs> He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, you can't love Father and mother, brother and sister, houses, farms, and lands more than me. If you love father, mother, brother, sister, anything else more than me, then you are not worthy to be my disciple. Man, 
Our faith ought to be life-changing. It ought to alter the direction and course of our life. It ought to get us off the everyday, average, normal, beaten path. We ought to be walking on the road less traveled, huh? So I have to ask myself, if my faith is really valuable, the opposite of vain, then what difference does it make in my life this week? How will I respond tomorrow to circumstances differently because of my faith? Or will I respond in a way that faith don't play any part of it? And can I say for a believer, faith has a part in every moment of life. So if we're not taking in consideration the substance of faith with every decision that we make, something's wrong. And look, I think because of the lack of good biblical preaching today, people don't even understand what faith is. Most folk think that faith is just the power of positive thinking. It's Norman Vincent Peale. If I believe something enough, it's going to happen. Hey, that's not faith. It's not. You know what faith is? Faith is my credence and belief and trust in the objective reality of God's Word. Let me tell you what faith is not, a popular definition. Faith is stepping out on nothing and finding something there. That's hogwash. God never asked you to step out on nothing. He asked you to step out on the solid foundation of His Word. And that's a little bit more stable than shifting unstable sand, is it not? The best decisions in life you'll make will be made on the authority and objective, factual reality of God's Word. That's what faith is. Somehow or another today we think that faith is just believing whatever we want to believe. No, it's not. The object of faith is always God's Word. Don't tell me you believe something and can't tell me where you find it. Don't, where you, where you find, can't find it in God's Word. You have no basis for believing anything that's not verified in God's Word. And God doesn't expect you to. That's why the Bible says this. God has not left Himself without a witness. Without a witness. He verifies His truth. And that's what He's doing. So faith is not just believing whatever I want to believe. Man, I'll tell you, there's so many folk today, I'm telling you, cultural Christianity is strangling the lifeblood out of us. Because so many folk have made up their own faith system. And it's not biblical faith. Check out number next. i got to hurry. When we live in denial, preaching has no value. Faith is vain. Verse number 15, when we live in denial, we are vulnerable. 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 Look what Paul says. Moreover, if we, if we, are, even, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God, that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Now here's what Paul's saying. He's talking about him as a preacher, but let's turn this around and put it on the foot of those of us who are the hearers. Paul's saying if, if what you are saying is true, then we are false witnesses of God. But hey, you have believed us. You've believed us, right? Isn't that what he's saying? So here's what it means to live in denial. Living in denial means you'll believe whoever says something that sounds good. Huh? It doesn't have to be Bible. It just has to sound spiritual and you'll believe it. 
And can I say I think that's where so many people are today? And boy, man, listen, I watch sometimes the TV and it just, I absolutely have to turn it off because of all the charlatans that are on TV who are standing up under the guise of being Bible preachers and never use the Bible. Some of them even hold the Bible up and make you give a pledge allegiance to it and they never use it. And people are flocking to them. Why? Because they're vulnerable. Vulnerable. Friend, if you're living in denial of biblical reality and biblical fact, you'll be vulnerable to whatever smooth-talking charlatan comes your way. Check out number next. We live in denial. Not only are we vulnerable, but verse 17 says when we live in denial, sin is victorious. Look with me in verse number 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. You see, because what does faith do? I mean, faith is worthless, and if your faith is worthless, he says you're still in your sins. Faith is what extracts you from the predicament that your sin has got you in. You see, here's what kills me about so many people. So many people hate the consequences of sin, but they don't understand the way you get out of it is by faith in the objective revelation of God's Word. They want to get out of it by continuing to sin their way out of it. Makes no sense to me at all. You never get better by continuing in sin. It sounds like some of our congressmen in Washington today. One of them said not long ago, the way you get yourself out of debt, in regards talking about the national debt being 30-something trillion dollars, whatever it is. Here's what the idiot said. He said, sometimes the way you get yourself out of debt is by getting in more debt. And people believe it because they're vulnerable. That's exactly right. And people believe that kind of hogwash. I mean, my goodness. You see, that's exactly the same type of argumentation these folk were making. The way you get out of sin is by sinning more. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. And Paul says, if your faith is vain, if your faith is worthless, then make no mistake about it, you're still in your sin. Two implications to being still in your sin. Number one, it means that you are still under the penalty of sin. <laughs> hey, the wages of sin is death. And we're not just talking about physical death because even believers die. We're talking about eternal death. Spending eternity in hell. That's the consequences to being in your sin. You're, there's only two options here. You're either in sin or you're in Christ. And that great transformation takes place by being born again. So check out number one when he says sin is victorious because you're still, you're still under its penalty. Still living under its penalty. But number two, not only is that an implication of being in sin, but also it means that we're still under its power. It means we're still under its power. Now, get this. Do you know what it means every time we slip slip air quotes and fall into sin that means that sin is victorious in our life 
Because it just overpowered your faith. Am I right? If your faith is worthless, you don't have a chance against sin. But here's the reality. Check out what Paul has already taught us in the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 10 and verse number 13. Look what he says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape, so that you will be able to endure it. Hey, can I just be honest with you and with me? Every time a believer makes a conscious decision to disobey God, rather than obey God, it's because our faith was weaker than sin. And sin just overpowered you. Sin is victorious. It means that your faith is weak, at best, worthless at worst. See, if you're still in your sin, you're still under its penalty. Worst case scenario. Best case scenario is you're still under its power. And do you know the way you break the power of sin? Say it, Alyssa. Here it is. Do you see why preaching's got to be have such a high priority in our life? Biblical preaching. I'm not talking about what I just railed against. I'm talking about expository biblical preaching. It's indispensable in my life. It's indispensable in your life. It's indispensable in every believer's life. Hey, we can't be haphazard with sitting under the preaching of God's Word. We can't just be hit or miss with it. It's got to have a place of value. If not, our faith will be vain. And watch this. Sin will be victorious, I promise you. I think it was Mark Twain that said, the only two scenarios possible. Either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Those are the only two possible options out there. Number next, when we live in denial, sin is victorious. But we, when we live in denial, verse number 18, bereavement destroys our vitality. Now check out what it is that Paul says in verse number 18 of chapter 15. Then, here's another logical conclusion... Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have perished. You know what that means? That means when you have a family member that dies, you act like that's the end. It totally destroys your world because that person is gone. They're, they're perished. I'll never see them again. Oh, woe is me. My life is horrible because that person is gone. Now look, I don't want to make light of bereavement. But can I say to you that believers don't sorrow like lost people sorrow? Huh? They don't. You know why? Because we know the other side of the story. I can remember what George Truett said after he preached the funeral of his wife. Somebody come up to him and said, Dr. Truett, I'm so sorry that you lost your wife. And Dr. Truett in true form says, What do you mean lost her? I ain't lost her. I know exactly where she is. <laughs> huh? That makes a difference, brothers and sisters. It just does. I mean, hear me. 
I'm not without bereavement in my life. Not too many years ago, I lost my daddy. I, I quote him almost every, every time I stand up in the pulpit somehow or another, even against his advice. <laughs> every time he was in a place where I was preaching, the last thing he'd say, he'd always come to me and shake my hand. He'd pull me real close and he said, don't you quote me today. Because <laughs> he knew most of his quotes were pretty close to the line. You know what I'm saying? And y'all had a daddy like that. You know what I'm saying. But they were true. <laughs> but here's what happened. Friend, this is what takes place in the life of a believer. After the initial hurt and sorrow and sadness and feeling sorry for myself, I start to be glad for my daddy. Huh? Even a little bit jealous and envious because I know where he is. Man, he's in the place God created him to be. The destination that God marked out for his life from before the foundation of the world. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Man, that's going to be the day when all of this stuff that we study about all of this stuff that we preach about, all of this stuff that we do in taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, all of this stuff that we start in part by exalting the Son of God in our worship, that's the day when faith is going to become sight. And I'm going to be able to sit down face to face with Him. I'm going to be able to walk up to Paul and say, Paul, you're smart and I'm an idiot. What did you mean when you wrote this in Corinthians? <laughs> Man, what a day that's going to be. But here's the deal. If you're living in denial, bereavement will point it out quicker than anything else in life. And I know so many believers, look, professed believers, that just cannot get over the death of a loved one. And again, I'm not making light of that death, but I'm saying this. The Bible says we don't sorrow like the rest of the world sorrows. So when we lose somebody in Christ, they haven't perished. They have never been more alive in their lifetime than when they are when they're with Jesus Christ. Huh? Like David said, they can't come to us. But by golly, we'll go to them one day. Man, that's just good stuff. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying when you're living in denial... Bereavement will destroy your vitality. It sucked the life out of you. Because your life was tied up with their life and now they're gone. What are you going to do? Got to run. When we're living in denial, bereavement destroys our vitality. And finally, when we live in denial, we are nothing more, nothing less than pitiful victims. Just a victim of everything and every circumstance. Look what Paul says in verse number 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be, what's the word? Pitied. Do you know anybody that lives in self-pity? Huh? And all they want is people to feel sorry for them? I mean, something happened to you and they got something worse happened to them? They try to one-up you, or in this case, one-down you. <laughs> well, I wasn't bad. Y'all see what happened to me. 
And all they want is pity, pity, pity. They're always the victim. Nothing's ever their fault. Everything's always perpetrated against them. And you see, that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying if Christ has not been raised, then we are to be most pitied. Here's what here's how it fleshes out. Colin and I are sitting in a restaurant one day. I'm not a believer. He is. And he lets it slip that he's a follower of Christ. And everybody in the restaurant stops talking and turns around and says, What? Man, we are so sorry for you. How in the world did that happen? Is there anything we can do to help you? Oh, you're so pitiful. Let me buy your lunch today. You see, <laughs> you see that's, that's what Paul is saying here literally. That when somebody finds out you're a believer, that they ought to console you and they ought to give you pity because you poor, little, helpless victim. You are missing out on life because of this foolishness. I'm so sorry for you. Now check out the implications of that. When we're to be most pitied, when we're living in denial, here's the attitude we'll have. We'll have the attitude that being a believer is no fun. No fun. <laughs> you know anybody that, that has that mentality? That hey, I'm going to go ahead and sow my wild oats before I give my life to Christ. Well, that's not even biblical. <laughs> You've been listening to some... Some charlatan tell you that you can just decide whatever you want to, huh? <laughs> Look. And they say, I I'm going to sow my wild oats. I want to have my fun and then I'll come to Christ. As if life with Christ is not fun. Can I say to you that it's hilarious? It's a barrel of monkeys. I mean, where else do you get to hang out with a bunch of nuts like y'all, huh? <laughs> That's right. Where else does a bunch of nuts get to listen to a nut? It's a, it's a ton of fun. Hey, look, this is what Jesus said. You know, <laughs> Tony Campala wrote a book, and, and, and here's, what, here's the title of his book, The Kingdom is a Party. I like that. And his premise is just that. Is the kingdom's not a dang funeral. God's not a killjoy. It's a party. It's about abundant life. Jesus said, my joy I give you. You get that? Joy. Joy. Man, being a Christian is the most fun you can have as some folks say with your clothes on, huh? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> my daddy. I just quoted my daddy right there. <laughs> he gonna get me. He gonna get me. It might not be too good of a reunion, huh? I'm even gonna be getting spankings in heaven, Jamie. Boy, I told you not to be quoting me. That's right. I heard what you said on Easter Sunday. That's right. Man, it is. Though, listen, back to my original premise here. Being a believer, if it ain't fun, something's wrong with you. You're trying to live by rules. You're trying to earn God's favor. Now there's nothing fun about that. You're religious. There's nothing fun about that. But I'm telling you, believing, being a believer is, is a joyous, hilarious, fun ride. Is it not? Hey, look at this. You get to have all the fun you want to on Saturday night and you don't even wake up with a headache next day. Huh? 
Has that, ain't that right, Jerry? Hey, would you go back? <laughs> would you go back, friend? Huh? I'm telling have I sold this enough? Being a believer is not going to rob you of life. It's going to give you life. Check out number next. What else does it mean when we have a victim's mentality and we're living in denial? I know it means that we have this idea that being a believer is no fun, but we also have this mentality because we have no fellowship with him here. Hey, listen to me. You can't have fellowship with dead people. Have you ever, have you ever figured that one out? You just can't fellowship with dead people. And if Jesus is dead, you can't have any fellowship with him. But the good news of Easter is he's alive, right? And son, we walk with him and we talk with him. A long life's narrow way. Why? Because he lives. He lives. You ask me how I know he lives because I just talked to him this morning. That's how I know. Huh? And that's what being a Christian is about. It's about living in fellowship with the one who made it possible to experience abundant life and his name is Jesus Christ. Huh? So man, when we're living in denial, here's what we're saying about ourselves. I ain't heard from him in so long he must have died. You remember the God is dead movement? <laughs> Boy, we're telling on ourselves now because that was back in the 70s, huh? Most of y'all weren't even around in the 70s. But there was a movement called God is Dead. How they even made a movie about the fact God is dead. One of my friends said, God's not dead. He said, and here's how I know. I'm the next of kin. Ain't nobody notified me. Same <laughs> <laughs> with the Lord Jesus. No, he's alive. Because <laughs> I have fellowship with him on a daily basis. Have you? Check out number next, and i got to close. What time is it? Oh, look at there. I'm getting through early. It's an Easter miracle. When we live in denial, men, we're pitiful victims. It's what Paul says in verse number 19. We have this idea that being a believer is no fun. We have absolutely no fellowship with him here. And friend, if you have no fellowship with him here, watch me. You have no future with him in heaven either. Because see, it's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about walking with him here. And when you walk with him here, here's what he says to you. Here's what he says. He says, For I tell you the truth, in my Father's house, in my father's house are many mansions, or literally many rooms. He says, If that wasn't the truth, I, I would have told you so. But he says, It is true. And he says, I go and prepare a place for you. And one day I will come and receive you to myself, either through death or through the second coming. But one day he's coming... He said, I'm going to receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be with me also. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hey, because he's alive, we've got a future, guys. We've got a glorious future. <laughs> and except for my daddy giving me a whipping when I get there, it's going to be pretty dang good. <laughs> hey, man, listen. If you're living in denial, here's what this message is about. It's not about hammering you over the head. You know, here's what I do in preaching. I deal with y'all the same way God deals with me. Do you know that? And God just kind of smacks me upside the head sometimes and says, correct this, correct this. And that's what we do. We just make mid-course corrections to the objective revelation of His Word. And then here's what happens. If one of these 
or more of these characteristics if you're going to be honest with yourself and not live in denial about the truth. If one or more of these characteristics really does describe you, here's what you do. You resurrect your faith. Let faith make changes in your life this week. And I promise you, you'll come back next week saying, you know what? He is alive. And I know He's alive because what He did in my life this week by faith. I challenge you. Pick up God's Word. As it said in Joshua, don't let it fall to the ground. Be a doer, not a hearer only. And it will make a huge difference in your life. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these folk whom you have assembled here today to hear the preaching of your word, indicating that it has value to them. So I pray God that you're going to take your word and make it profitable in their lives when they mix it with faith and become a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. But God, our prayer is that you will use this church and these people that you are assembling at Grace Church in Bonifay to be living testimonies to the fact that Jesus is alive. God, would you use us to help reach Bonifay, Florida with the truth of your word? And God, would you use us to help us get the good news of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way around the world to villages like X and Y who are still sitting in darkness without the light of the good news. I pray for those whom you've spoken to today about being saved and they've never ever been born again. They've never experienced what it means to walk in resurrection power. I pray God today you'll call them to faith. I pray for those whom you're calling to be a part of this church that God today they'll respond in faith to whatever it is that you have said. But God would you allow us today to make whatever adjustment we need to make in our life by faith because the Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please you. God, be pleased in our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Dr. John Wilson's here on the front row. Colin Dollar's here on the front row. Brother Cliff Myers is right here. If God said something to you today and there's a mid-course correction you need to make, there's a step of faith that you need to take in Jesus' name, won't you do it today?